All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. And we are we're working through Matthew chapter 18. We're down to verse 18. And today we're going to take, uh, we're going to look at this section of Scripture where we're going to actually begin today in uh, looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. So let me read those three verses to you, and we'll begin. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for your word, God, your eternal word. Lord Jesus, I love what you said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. God, we ask today that you would open our hearts and open our minds. But to the truth of your word, that you would do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you would heal us of our blindness, our deafness, our hardness. God, impart truth to us today. Reveal it to us today. Set us free, God, that we would be able to see you more clearly and therefore be transformed more and more to that image of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Now, I'll tell you right up front, we're going to begin this today, but... uh, It's going to take me two weeks to get through Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20. So what we see here uh, is that, and we're going to look at another scripture here. Actually, we're going to be in Matthew 16 for most of today. Um, And it's going to kind of help us understand these verses. So these three verses, the first verse, let's look at verse 18. Because this is kind of where we're going to focus today. And then we'll get to verse 19 and 20 um, after we deal with verse 18. So in Matthew chapter 18, this is where Jesus says, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So one thing that we understand when we study the Scripture, we read the Scripture, we see the words of Jesus, uh, is that Jesus has granted to the church authority. We see this in Matthew uh, chapter 28, when uh, we, what we commonly call the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, Go, therefore, and, and Jesus says, I have received all authority. How much authority has Jesus received? Is there any authority that exists that Jesus has not received? No. That means, as the scripture declares, his is the name above all names. And so there is no authority, there is no power, there is no name, there is nothing, no one greater than Christ. And so when Jesus, for instance, in the Great Commission, commands us to go, therefore, the therefore speaks of the authority hit, go, therefore, because I have received all, all authority, go, therefore, making disciples. So he imparts authority to the church to go in his name and to make disciples. Now, Matthew 28 is at the end of Matthew's gospel. It's right before the ascension of Jesus. And Jesus imparts to his church this commission, this command, to go therefore because he's received all of this authority in heaven and on earth. 
But now, let's back up from there. And we come to Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, and we see Jesus using a phrase here, um, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now remember, when we read the scripture, when we study the scripture, we need to, to read, study, and apply in the proper context. So we can't take Matthew 18, 18 out of its context and apply it to whatever we want. We've got to apply it in its context, Okay. And to understand the context of Matthew 18, uh, we really need to look at Matthew 16, verses 16 through 19, to understand the foundation of the authority that Christ has given to the church. So we're going to take a pause today. We're going to come back to Matthew 18, 19, and 20 next week, but today, because I don't think I'll get through Matthew 16 today, and I don't think you want me to try. How many of you want me to try? I can do it. I'll stay here all day. How many of you want... James Keene wants me to try. No one else wants me to try? Well, y'all are outvoted. It's two, to, two against, I don't know how many. So I won't try. And everybody in the congregation breathe a big sigh of relief. He's not going to try. Because you know I've tried before. You know, I've done this before, right? Y'all, y'all know I can do it. Uh, but, but then our food would get cold, and we don't want that to happen. Or actually, it might burn because, you know, it's heating too long. But Matthew 16, verses uh, 16 through 19 are going to help us understand the foundation of what Jesus is saying here. Because when Jesus says what he says in Matthew 18, 18, he has already told his disciples something in Matthew 16, okay? And so to understand Matthew 18, 18, we need to be able to understand Matthew 16. All right, so let's go over back a couple of pages to Matthew 16, and let's begin reading in verse 16. Matthew 16, verses 16 through 19. Simon Peter, so this is where Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, they say you're Moses, they say you're Elijah, they say you're the prophet. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, verse 16, and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Now we need to pay really close attention to what Jesus says in response of Simon's answer to Jesus' question. Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is what we're going to concentrate on today. We're going to concentrate in Matthew 16, verses 16 through 19 to give us a foundation to understand why Jesus said what he said in verse 18 of Matthew 18 and what he meant when he said that, okay? All right, so in Matthew 16, in these three verses, 16 through 19, we see, actually four verses, we see that Jesus is speaking of the authority that he is giving to his apostles, namely 
Or firstly, Peter, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, because he mentions, he says to Peter, you are Peter. You notice that in verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah. Now you're not Simon any longer. Now you are Peter, rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now we'll, we'll clarify some of these things as we go of what that means and what it doesn't mean. Okay? But we see that Jesus is granting authority here to his apostles by his word for his church, which he will establish and he will build. Jesus says, I will build my church. And we see in these verses of Scripture, specifically in 17, 18, and 19, we see three areas of authority that we're going to talk about today. Now, when we talk about three areas of authority, they're not separate areas unto themselves. They all work together. It's kind of like the Trinity. There is one God, but there are three persons. There are three separate persons in the Godhead, but there's one God, and they are all together. They are in unity. These three areas of authority are not separate unto themselves. They are together in unity to achieve the eternal purpose of God. And it all revolves around his promise here to build the church. So let's look at these three areas of authority. They are authority concerning the scripture, authority concerning the church, and authority concerning the gospel. You you know, you can say these different ways, but this is, to to me, as I read and study the scripture, this is the easiest way to understand this. Are you with me? Authority concerning the scripture authority concerning the church, and authority concerning the gospel. So let's take each one of these separately. All right, so Christ gave authority concerning the Scripture. So we can call this scriptural authority. So what do I mean by that? So let's look at verses 16 and 17 again. Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. That is significant, church. Because what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, you didn't come up with that idea on your own. That thought didn't pop into your head because it seemed like the most logical thing to say. Peter, you just experienced a revelation from the Father. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You didn't reveal it to yourself. Some rabbi didn't reveal it to you. No man revealed it to you. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And so we see that when Peter gets this revelation from the Father, what was the revelation? That you are the Christ the Son of God. So Christ gave scriptural authority with his permission to bind and loose. Then then Jesus goes on. Now, so we've got to follow the train of thought here. Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father revealed this to you. Blessed are you, Simon. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not just to Peter. We're going to see the prophetic nature of this statement Jesus made here. 
how this prophecy was fulfilled. And it wasn't an end unto itself. It was the beginning of something. And we're a part of that still today because we are the church. And he goes on, he says, I, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The significance here, this term binding and loosing was a very common term used in Jesus' day. The rabbis used it all the time. And so when, when, when someone would become, um, it, it'd be like going to seminary and getting your doctorate, you know, in theology or something today. The Pharisees were, were doctors of the law. And so when, when someone would get that, they would give them the key to the temple. There would be a key, there'd be a place where the scrolls were kept and the parchments were kept, and they would give them that key, which means they had the authority to go in there and study the scrolls. They had to go, the authority to go in there and, and write things. So by the time Jesus comes along, we, we have all of these traditions of men that the Jews have written out, that have established. This is why Jesus kept getting into trouble with the Pharisees. Because according to their tradition, according to what they bound or what they loosed, according to what they judged right or what they judged wrong, these things became like law. So when Jesus would, for instance, go into the temple, for instance, when he overturned the table of the money changers, and he drives them out with a, a cord, a, a whip he made of cords, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they all come to Jesus, and they ask him this question, by, by whose authority do you do these things? What they were asking, they were asking him what his theological pedigree was, basically. Who gave you the authority to bind and loose, to do this, to say these things, to do these things? They took this authority upon themselves. Now, we don't understand the significance of what Jesus is telling his apostles here. But we need to understand the significance because what Jesus told his apostles here was so significant, it is the reason we have the Bibles that we have today. The very fact that those words, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is written in your Bible today is because Peter received this revelation from the Father in heaven, and this, this was the inspired Word of God. So Jesus says, Peter, that inspiration didn't come from you. That inspiration came from my Father in heaven. And I give you the authority to bind and to loose. I give you the authority to teach men, and we're going to see this later on, that I am the Son of God, that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah, that I am the fulfillment of the prophets, of the law, of the writings. This was the authority that Jesus was giving to Peter. It was, it, it was really a major thing. It was much more important and it was much more powerful than just saying, picking up, you know, 
us just saying, well, I bind poverty in the name of Jesus. Well, I bind sickness in the name of Jesus. Well, I bind... That's fine and good, but I want you to understand. You can go around saying that, but I want you to understand what Jesus really said and what he really meant is so much greater than that. Because poverty and sickness and all those things, Jesus took care of that in his atonement. Okay? What Jesus is saying here is much greater. We wouldn't even know there's anything wrong with those things if we didn't have our Bibles, if we didn't have the inspired Word of God. We wouldn't even know what salvation is today had God not, by His inspiration and by the authority He gave to His church to not only speak and to write and to to give us this canon of Scripture. So, scriptural authority. Christ gave scriptural authority with His permission to bind and loose. Christ gave authority to the apostles to establish, listen, the doctrines of salvation. So when the apostles said, for instance, that the Gentiles don't have to keep the law, who gave the the apostles the authority to make that decision? The rabbis didn't. The Pharisees didn't. The scribes didn't. Who gave them the authority? How many of you today are Gentiles? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. If you're Jewish, that's fine. But if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. How many of you are thankful? Listen, I've, I've, I've read through the... We're studying through the first parts of the... Well, we're studying through the whole Bible, but we're, we're just about through the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Okay? Take some time and read and study the first five books of the Bible. And then ask yourself if you are glad that Jesus gave authority to his apostles to make the decision that us Gentiles don't have to keep the law in that way any longer. You'll be really glad. Well, who made that decision? Who gave, who gave those guys, who gave Peter, a fisherman from Galilee, and his brothers, uh, the, uh, the James and John, the sons of... Who gave these guys the authority to make this decision that the Gentiles don't have to keep the law? Well, Jesus gave them that authority right here. When he says, I give you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He gave to his apostles the authority to lay out the doctrines of salvation. That is significant. It's very significant. This authority, the scriptural authority, gave us the completed and inspired written word of God. So when Jesus, when Jesus said those words to his apostles there in Matthew 16, we had everything that you have in your Bible up to the prophet Malachi. And if you're in the Catholic Church and some other churches, you got the apocryphal writings there too. But Jesus never quoted from the apocrypha. He quoted and referenced everything from Genesis to Malachi. Actually, the order's different in a Jewish Bible. I think 2 Chronicles is the last book of the order of the Jewish Bible. But they're all in there. He quoted everything 
from Genesis to Malachi. He referenced that. And so that's the Bible. Those are the scriptures that Jesus had when he makes this statement. The reason you have Matthew through Revelation is because Jesus said to his apostles, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Because he said, my, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, what you have just received was inspired by God your Father. This word is inspired by God. Okay? So the scriptures authored, inspired by God. You understand that? The scriptures are authored by God. They're inspired by God. Have you ever had someone say, well, you know, the Bible's just a book written by men. Uh, you know, men, listen, before I was saved, I was really crude and rude, and I had just, you know, I believed in God, but I don't even, you know, I don't even know if you could say I believe in God. But m- really and truly, I really thought, you know, this book called the Bible, just a bunch of dudes sitting around getting stoned, wrote this thing. I mean, I was so ignorant. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I just thought, it's just a storybook a bunch of men wrote. I didn't know anything. I would just speak out of my ignorance. <laughs> we need to be careful to try not to do that. The Bible. So the scriptures are authored and inspired by God, but they're penned. They're penned by the hands of men. Yes, men wrote the scriptures. Peter said those words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But, but those words didn't come out of his mind. They didn't come from him. They came from the Father in heaven. But they were spoken through his, through his mouth. God authored the scriptures, inspired the scriptures, but God wrote it through the hands of men over the course of thousands of years, no less. And if you study the scripture, you see that it's pretty unified in its theme. Not pretty unified, it it is amazing. It is amazing. The scriptures are absolutely amazing. And so this is the scriptural authority that God gave. It was this authority Jesus is imparting right here that that ultimately gave us the scriptures that we are studying and speaking of today. So the next one Christ gave was, he gave authority concerning the church. I call this spiritual authority. This is what we see in verse 18, okay? Matthew 16, verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter. Notice the name change here. Peter means rock. So if we, if we understood Greek today, which we don't, he says, and I say to you that you are a little rock. And on this big rock, I will build my church. That's literally what what it says here. Peter means rock. It's a play on words Jesus is using. You are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates 
of hell or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This is the spiritual authority that Jesus is giving to his apostles to form and oversee the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave them authority to establish and oversee the doctrines of the church. Now this is where Matthew 18, 18, we're going to come back to that next week and we're going to understand more clearly what Jesus means when he makes the statement in Matthew 18, 18. Because we're going we're gonna to get the whole context of the chapter and understand what Jesus is talking about. Because that verse, those verses, Matthew 18, 19, and 20, are, are, are sandwiched in between one whole theme. So Jesus didn't change subjects when he got to Matthew 18 to something else, and he changed subjects again when he got to Matthew 19, and he changed subjects yet again when he got to verse 20. Then he goes back to the original subject in, in verse 21. That's not what happened. There's a continuity. It all flows together there. But that's for next week. So this scriptural authority, or this, I'm sorry, this spiritual authority Christ gives to form and to oversee the church, to establish and oversee the doctrines of the church. So what, what, what does that mean? So for instance, this whole thing of, let's say the, the doctrines of salvation and the doctrines of the church, they're, they're seamless in what they are, right? So the doctrine of salvation says Gentiles don't have to keep the law. That's also a doctrine of the church, Right? We are now the church. So how is the church defined? Paul defines it this way. There is now no longer Jew, nor Greek, nor male, nor female, nor slave, nor free, nor Scythian, nor barbarian. In other words, we are the church. So we're not, we're not under the law any longer. doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Is the law being fulfilled? Trick question. Yes, it is. God didn't throw away the law. God didn't do away with the law. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. Who fulfilled and who continues to fulfill the law? Christ does. How do we fulfill the law? In Christ. And so the point of the law, sacrificing, you know, they sacrificed two two lambs every day. I mean, they had an evening, a morning offering and an evening offering. And you begin to read, you talk about bloodshed. Oh my God, there was blood everywhere. All the time, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. I can't imagine how many animals, that's why they had so many animals. They were bringing animals to sacrifice all the time. We don't live under that system any longer. Why? Because that system was a shadow. That system spoke of something that was coming, a substance that was coming. Christ is that substance. But those sacrifices really meant something. They really foreshadowed something. They really spoke to us about something that's real. So the apostles, they create a doctrine of the church that says, we're not, we're not under the law. We're not justified by the law any longer. I don't know about you, but I'm glad. I don't have to try to be justified by the law. Christ gave them the authority to establish these doctrines of the church. So the church is established, it's built, and it's governed by Christ through the hands, or through, we say it this way, through the hands of men. 
through the spiritual authority given to faithful men ordained by God. Those apostles were faithful men that God ordained to form and establish these things. They spoke these doctrines. They wrote these doctrines. They established these doctrines that that we live under today, that we may take for granted, but this is the beauty of reading the entire Scripture, the whole counsel of God. I mean, you can't read the Old Testament, for instance, the first five books of the Bible, and not just rejoice and be so thankful for the grace of God. I mean, the dude is out on Saturday picking up sticks for his fire, and you know what they did to him? They stoned him to death because he picked up sticks on the Sabbath. How'd you like to live under that? I'm going to tell you straight up right now, some of you kids, you wouldn't even be alive today. Some of us, adults, wouldn't even be alive today. They would have taken us out and stoned us to death because we were so rebellious. (laughs) That's what the Scripture said to do. Some kids, some parents are going, man. Well, somebody made a decision that we don't live under that any longer. It was these apostles Jesus was talking to. And God gave them, Christ gave them the authority to establish the doctrines of salvation, the doctrines of the church. I want you to begin to understand the magnitude of this authority, what what Jesus is saying here. And so the church, it's established, it's built, it's governed by Christ, but Christ uses, it's through the spiritual authority given to faithful men ordained by God. And that spiritual authority in the church is to make manifest the glorious rule of Christ's love. He is ruling right now. Hebrews says, we do not yet see him. All things have been placed under him. Though we do not see all things under him yet, they are. And as we we live, as we are the church, our lives, our assembling together, our living together, relating to one another, interacting with one another, is to manifest this glorious rule of Christ in the earth. His love, His grace, and His mercy, His truth. And those things should bring great joy to us. But when we understand who we were in our sinfulness, it also should strike fear in our hearts of how close and how much we deserved His judgment, but by His grace we did not receive it. So we have scriptural authority. He's giving them the authority basically to write Scripture. Do you understand we don't have that authority today? This is why we don't believe Mormons are uh, Christian. Because God didn't give Joseph Smith the authority to write another book called the Book of Mormon and put it next to the Holy Bible and say they have equal authority. No. Mm -mm. God gave that to his apostles and the canon of Scripture was completed and now we have everything that we need in this Bible right here. I, I don't have to write a new Scripture because there's something I want, so I'm just going to say, well, God gave me that authority to bind and loose, so I'm just going to go ahead and make the decision right now that we're going to write this scripture, and it's going to be just like the force of the Word of God. can't do that. There are not prophets today like there were 
in the old days. And we're going to look at this. Also, if, if I can get moving here, if I don't get moving here, we're, we're going to be on this for three weeks. So let's try not to do that. And everybody said amen, right? Okay. Let's get to the last area of authority. It's gospel authority, okay? So Christ gave authority concerning the gospel. Christ gave authority to bind and to loose through the proclamation of the gospel. Listen, the gospel is the key to bind the strong man, to conquer unbelief, and to make disciples. The gospel of Christ is the key that opens or closes the kingdom of God. God has ordained that men will not be saved apart from the gospel, period. This is why you're not going to get saved through the doctrines of the Koran. You're not going to get saved through the doctrines of the, uh, you know, the doctrines of the Buddha. Or the doc- I'm, not, I'm not throwing rocks at these people. I'm just saying there are not many paths, many ways to God. There's only one way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. And God gave authority to his apostles to declare, to establish this gospel. And and that, that gospel opens the way for men to be saved. It is the proclaim, it is the gospel is proclaimed and administered by the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit that has to open, has to, has to take our cold, stony heart out and give us a new heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36. It's the spirit that has to open our blind eyes and enable us to see. This is the work of the spirit. So it's the gospel proclaimed. It's the power of the spirit. So how does the, how does the spirit work? Well, this, that's why the spirit doesn't work through the doctrines of Buddhism or the doctrines of Islam or the doctrines of those other things, because those are not the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When the gospel is made known, whether it's me standing here preaching it to you, like I am right now, or whether it's you out there living it, where you work and play every day, the Spirit of God empowers that gospel. It is the power of God that will open the eyes and the minds and the hearts of men that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the gospel. And he gave to his apostles and he gave to the church the power to proclaim the gospel. It is the key that opens the way to life. It's proclaimed and administered by the church through the power of the Spirit. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It's our commission. Listen, church. It's our commission to go and to command all men to believe. Do you you understand the gospel is not a suggestion, it's a commandment to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men are commanded to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to go and command them to believe by our preaching, by our teaching, by our talking, and by our walking. Our walking and our talking need to be unified. Amen? This is why people are fleeing the church in droves, because they hear the church saying one thing, but they see us walking out a very different thing. And that's got to stop. So this authority is exercised through men, authorized by Christ, and empowered by the Spirit. So here's a summary. Are you with me so far? The summary of Matthew 16, 16 through 19, reveals the authority that Jesus granted to his apostles. First Peter 
and ultimately to the church for the purpose of establishing the authority of his word, the authority of his church, and the authority of his gospel. So now let's go back to this idea, this concept, this foundation of the apostles, beginning with Peter. So let's look at Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says to Simon Bar-Jonah, that was his name then, Jesus changes it right here in this verse. He says, you, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, verse 18, and I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus speaks prophetically here of Peter. Listen to me, church. Not as the first pope, okay? Jesus is not speaking prophetically as Peter being the first pope. He's speaking prophetically as Peter being the first instrument of opening that God would use in the church. This was the authority to bind and loose in action. On the day of Pentecost, it was Peter coming down from the upper room who preached to the multitudes, and that day 3,000 were saved. Peter was the first to preach the gospel message after the ascension of Jesus. He was the first on the day of Pentecost to preach the gospel message to the Jews. Then we see in Acts, that's in Acts chapter 2. You can go read it yourself. Then if you go to Acts chapter, 10, you'll, Acts chapter 10, you'll see that the very first person to preach to the Gentiles was the very same Peter. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, remember, he's minding those business. He's at the house of Simon the Tanner there by the sea. He's up praying, you know, and all of a sudden he kind of gets hungry. It's lunchtime. That's what the Bible says. It's exactly what the Bible says. He gets hungry. It's lunchtime. And all of a sudden Peter gets a vision and God lowers this sheet. And he sees every manner of food in there, animals. He sees animals, actually. It wasn't prepared food, it was animals. And the, and the voice from the vision says, Peter, kill and eat. They were unclean animals. Peter says, Lord, you know nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. Three times, you notice the pattern with Peter, three times feed my sheep, three times Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I love you. Three times. Three times God says, Peter, kill and eat. The last time he says, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. The very moment these Gentiles are knocking on the door of Simon's house, hey, is there a guy named Peter here? We're looking for him. Our master had a vision. An angel came to him and said, come get this guy, Peter. Hey, Peter, there's some Gentiles looking for you. That's so amazing. I just had this vision and I'm kind of freaked out. What's the deal? Hey, well, our master had a vision. He, you need to come to the house. God says, Peter, don't ask any questions. Just go with these guys. He goes to the house of Cornelius the Gentile. He said, you know, it's unlawful for me to even be in your house, Cornelius, because I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile. Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls just like it did on the day of Pentecost. On these Gentiles, Peter goes back. There's this huge uproar because now the gospel has been preached to Gentiles, and we just don't preach the gospel to Gentiles because the gospel is a Jewish message, because he's a Jewish Messiah. Peter says, I don't know what to tell you guys, but God did what God did. And they received the Spirit of God just like we received the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. I didn't even get the words out of my mouth, and the Spirit fell. They didn't ask for it. It just happened. How can we say that God did not do this? Peter was the first instrument of opening for the gospel. He preached first to the Jews. He preached first to the Gentiles. 
But he wasn't the last instrument of opening. As a matter of fact, all of you, all of us are instruments of opening in God's hand because when we Are you hearing me, church? When we declare the gospel, when we live the gospel, when we proclaim the gospel, I'm telling you what, that is the key to have the way open to the truth, the life, and the way who is Christ. Amen? And so Jesus speaking prophetically here of Peter. This was the work of the Spirit through Peter laying the foundation for the holy temple in the Lord that is being built up for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What am I talking about? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2.20. Now here's why. Here's why we don't have apostles and prophets today like we did back then. Okay? I didn't say we don't have apostles and we don't have prophets, but we don't have apostles and we don't have prophets like we did back then. Why? Because the scripture tells us right here. Number one, those apostles and prophets, you know what they did? They wrote the scripture. Scripture's not being written anymore. But we do have men to proclaim what the apostles and the prophets have established. We can call them prophets. We can call them apostles. That's fine. Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, how many of you live in a house? Apartment, it doesn't matter. You live in a stru- how many of you live in a, in a structure that has a foundation? How many of you have ever done a remodel on your home? How many of you said, you know, I don't like this foundation. I think I'll just put another one on top of this one. You don't, you don't put a foundation on your house, do you? When do you lay the foundation? It's laid at the beginning of the building process. Okay? Pete, uh, Paul says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You know how Paul can say this? Because Paul understands the authority that Jesus imparted to his apostles there in Matthew 16. And Paul, as he's writing these words to the Ephesians, Paul is writing under the inspiration of God. And so we have it in the canon of Scripture today because Paul had the authority to write those things and to do those things. We don't. There are no apostles or prophets today that have that same authority. The foundation has been laid. This is why we can say these false religions are false religions. Because God didn't come, you know, uh, 2,000 some odd years, 1,500 years. I don't know, when did Joseph Smith, I don't know when he lived, anyways. 1,700 years, 1,800 years later, and lay another foundation for the church. The foundation has already been laid, and the building is already be, being built. You got me? You tracking with me? Now, I'm not picking on Mormons. There's a lot of Christians who think they're out there with equal authority as these apostles and prophets that we read about in the Bible, and it just ain't so because it just ain't so. Now, they can declare the word of these apostles and these prophets, 
And they have every right and every authority to do that. But we need to recognize where our authority begins and where our authority ends. So when Peter came out of that upper room on the day of Pentecost and he preached the gospel to those Jews, he was prophetically fulfilling what Jesus told him in Matthew 16. And Peter was, I mean, in reality, he is laying the foundation of the church, proclaiming to the Jews what? Jesus is the Messiah. You killed your Messiah. Proclaiming to those Gentiles, Jesus is the Savior. And God confirming that message by pouring out his spirit. Peter's laying the foundation as these apostles, as the church went out, I'm telling you what, at the word of the apostles, this is why Acts chapter 2 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Why did they continue in the apostles' doctrine? Because they understood that those apostles had authority from Jesus Christ to establish the doctrines of the church and the doctrines of salvation. They were writing the scripture. They were establishing the very things that we believe in and hold to be true today. I can tell you with all certainty today, you don't have to keep the Mosaic law because that's what the Bible says. I'm not afraid that God's going to punish me one day for saying that to you because God in his scripture, old and new, from beginning to end, has revealed the purpose of the law. It was never to make us righteous. It was to reveal our sinfulness and our need for Jesus Christ. Praise God, Jesus Christ has come. The foundation has been laid. So what's happening now? The foundation has been laid. So what's taking place in the building process now? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So every time the gospel is proclaimed, the authority that God gave his church is being exercised and is being confirmed. And the dwelling place of God in the Spirit is being built up upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You only have one chief cornerstone. A building foundation only has one cornerstone. If we're going to lay another foundation, do you realize, listen to me, church, when, if you're going to lay another foundation, do you realize that foundation has got to have another cornerstone? If you have two foundations, you have two cornerstones. You tell me who the other cornerstone is. There's only one cornerstone spoken of in Scripture, and that is Jesus Christ. That tells me there's only one foundation. It is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This Bible we have right here is our foundation. This word, this sure word is our foundation right there. And so Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, it is God who establish this. It's God who's doing this. So as we proclaim the gospel with our words, with our walk, we become instruments of opening or instruments of closing in the hand of God. Each man's response to the gospel will determine whether the way is opened or whether the way is closed. When the gospel is proclaimed, if men reject the gospel, the way is closed to them. They have to accept. They have to receive that. When they when they accept that, when they receive that, that gospel opens the way for them to salvation. 
For whosoever will believe, the way is open. Christ has given to the church the keys of the kingdom. The gospel is the key that opens to us the way, the truth, and the life. And with the power of the gospel, we are able to bind the strong man, to loose the captive, to conquer unbelief, and to make disciples. And we do this to the glory of God the Father. Amen? This is the authority that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 16. This is the same authority he speaks of in Matthew 18, and we'll look at Matthew 18 next week to understand exactly what Jesus is referring to here. I want you to understand that authority has given us something so so much greater, I believe, than the church can comprehend and and knows today. Here's what I'm saying to you, church. We have settled for much less when in reality God has given us so much more. We have settled for authority that's not really authority in the face of the greatest authority that exists. And God established that. And God has given that authority to us as his children, as the mouth that would declare his truth, his word, his gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would empower us, your people. Lord, to live the gospel with our words, with our deeds, and with our whole being. God, the gospel wouldn't just be a a subject. It wouldn't just be a topic. It wouldn't just be a part of our Bible. Lord, the gospel is Christ. Christ is the gospel. God is the gospel. Let it be more than just a message or a tract. Let it be our life, God, that our very life would declare the good news of Jesus Christ. That our very life, God, would communicate the love of Christ and the love of God. Lord, we pray for our hearts. We pray for the hearts of men to be broken. That men would humble themselves before you. That men would turn to you as the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Father, we ask that you would take your powerful gospel and you would set free the captives. We ask this, Lord, that you would be glorified in all things, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Is there anyone here and you say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know if I have ever had that door open to me. You say, I don't know if I am saved. Is there anyone here and you say, just be honest. Because the greatest decision you'll ever make in life is, is your decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you've heard the gospel today. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know that I've ever received Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I want to do that today. And you'd be brave enough, anyone brave enough. You're among family here today. You're among friends here today. You always tell people, man, if you can't confess Christ in front of your friends and your family, then how are you going to do it out in the world where it's hostile? Maybe you need to count the cost. That's okay. Jesus said count the cost. 
But here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think the gospel is just something you can just decide to do anytime you want to. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is. Because even though God's made lots of promises to us, we really don't know, none of us know, whether tomorrow's going to come or not. Conway told a story about a book he read about a, a guy. Now see, they got to have a little time to heat the food, okay? So just, just, a, just a couple of minutes for this story. About this doctor wrote this book, and this doctor uh, I think was an atheist at the time. And he's working on this guy. This guy's dying. This guy's having a heart attack, and, and the guy's heart stops, and, and they're like, you know, trying to get him back. And the guy comes back, and, and he's like, help me, help me. You know, four times. They, the fourth time, the guy finally says, somebody pray for me. Or the third time, somebody pray for me. And the doctor didn't really know, you know, what to do. And bottom line is, I don't know exactly how the story goes, but, but the guy came to accept Jesus. And he... His fear and his torment just went to a big peaceful smile and he died. You know, that's the grace of God. God didn't allow that guy to leave this earth before he was saved. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that leave this earth not saved. I can't look out among you or the world around us and know who's going to be given that grace that God would not allow them to die. They'd die basically four times on the, on the, in the emergency room and finally they came to Christ. That doesn't always happen. I don't know who those people are. You don't know who those people are. But here's what we do know. God says the gospel is the key that opens the way to salvation. And God has given that key to His church. You possess that key. You proclaim the gospel so that the way can be opened for men. Whether that's someone sitting here or people we know out in the world, don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And don't let the gospel just be words. Let it be your life. Amen? So that when you open your mouth and speak words, the people that are listening will know that your talk and your walk Match up. Let's all stand. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for our food next door while we're all here, okay? And seriously, if you're here and you didn't plan on having lunch with us, but you'd like to, please, 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 we want everyone to have lunch with us, okay? You're more than welcome. So I'm going to pray and, uh, for the food, then I'm going to dismiss you to go next door and eat. If you're here and you want prayer, maybe you want prayer for healing. Maybe you want to talk to me about salvation. Uh, maybe you have some questions. You come and let's talk, okay? And then that way, all the line will be gone, and we'll just be able to go next door and get our food, and we'll have to wait in line. See? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this beautiful day. I thank you, Lord, for all of these wonderful people that are here. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given to us to be the body of Christ, to assemble as the body. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace. 
and all that you provide for us. Father, we thank you for the food that's been provided next door. We thank you for the hands that prepared it and, and everyone that's worked hard to make this happen. Just pray you bless them, Father. And I pray, God, that you bless our fellowship. The food would not only be nourishing to our bodies, but, God, it would just enable us to sit down together and share in your love and the many blessings that we are so very thankful for. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go eat. Have a great time. I'll see you in a little bit. If you want prayer for anything, please come and let's pray. God bless you.